Singing. Don't you enjoy that? And uh, not only the special, but the choir and all those who sing, and, and I appreciate it. Good way to lift up the Lord and uh, to use your talents for the Lord. But Matthew chapter 19, verse 16, and Matthew chapter 19 and verse 16, stand with me if you would. When you have found Matthew chapter 19 and verse 16, put your finger there and go to the book of 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And just want to look at... Uh, this passage of scripture here in Matthew chapter 19, this story of what unfolds there around the disciples in the life of Christ in light of these verses here in Corinthians. And uh, if you would, and First uh, Corinthians chapter 5, and ver- or did I say 2 Corinthians? One more book. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 14. 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 14. It says this, it says, For the love of Christ constraineth us. Because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead. Aren't you glad the Lord first loved you? And we love him because he first loved us. He gave his life for us. And then verse 15 says, And that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. Would you read those two verses aloud with me? For the love of Christ constraineth us. Because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead. And that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. Boy, it's a privilege to be able to serve the Lord, isn't it? A privilege to be able to live for him. Uh, Matthew chapter 19, verse 16, if you turn there. And this fellow missed out on that incredible blessing of being able to live for the Lord. And we see that here in this account, here in Matthew 19, 16. And behold, one came and said unto him, Good master, what good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life? And he said unto him, Why callest thou me good? There is none good but one, that is God. But if thou wilt enter into life, keep the commandments. He saith unto him, Which? Jesus said, Thou shalt do no murder, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness. Honor thy father and thy mother, And thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. The young man saith unto him, All these things have I kept from my youth up. What lack I yet? Jesus said unto him, If thou wilt be perfect, go and sell that thou hast, and give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and come and and follow me. When the young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Then said Jesus unto his disciples, Verily I say unto you, that a rich man shall hardly enter into the kingdom of heaven. And again I said unto you, It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. When his disciples heard it, they were exceedingly amazed, saying, Who can be saved? But Jesus beheld them and said unto them, What With men this is impossible, but with God all things are possible." Let's pray together. Lord, we love you and we thank you for this, this passage of Scripture. We thank you for what this passage of Scripture teaches us about God, about knowing God, about living for God. Lord, I pray that you'd use me this morning. I pray that you'd fill me with your Spirit. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you'd speak to the hearts of each one that's here. If there's someone without Christ, Lord, speak to their heart about their need for the Lord, that they would come to know Christ as their Savior. Lord, for those of us that are saved, that we would be drawn near to the Lord, that, uh, Lord, if there's anything between us and you, that we would be able to deal with that this morning and that you would be lifted up in our heart and life. But I pray that you would be magnified in our life. Lord, we love you. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. This time of year, if you're a guest with us, you, you may not or haven't had much time for, with, with grace. Yet, yet this time, you may not realize this. We have missions conference coming up in February. This time of year is one of those times you kind of look 
ahead a little bit. We just finished our vision Sunday and we just had that and we looked towards some, we looked backward first of all and God did some wonderful things in our church this last year from folks being saved and various things that God did. But we also look ahead a little bit and see see what God would give. He gives us the time, have for us this coming year. We, and we'll make some commitments uh, turn towards building fund, toward giving. And then of course, missions conference come and missions conference is that time of year where we make a commitment to give towards missions that the gospel would not just be something that we keep here in our own city, but that we'd spread the gospel to the uttermost parts of the world. Over $300,000 Grace Baptist was given through Grace Baptist Church this last year and and not didn't stay here, friend. It it went straight out to the mission field and helped get missionaries to places we can't go and all different type of missions, uh, type of things. The gospel is the point, but this time of year, we look forward to that. Personally, for me personally, this time of year is that moment I look to my own budget, my own giving, and I prayerfully consider, Lord, what would you have me to give for you in this coming year. I want to use what you have entrusted with me in a way that is pleasing to you. And as I considered those things and I began to pray about what I would preach, I began to feel like the Lord was leading this, uh, preaching a little, a mini series, if you will, on just grace giving and just giving and the way God uses our, our finances and things of that nature. And I don't often do that. Matter of fact, if you go back through the eight years of messages online, you won't see it's not there a lot. And, uh, but I believe it's an important part of the Christian life. I think it's incredibly important. Bible says where your treasure is, there will your what be also. Your heart, God knows it, and, and stewarding that. Now, I'm not a prosperity preacher, all right? I'm not going to sit here and say that if you pray and give so much that I'll give you a sweaty hanky and all of your, bless, and all of your finances will be fixed, all right? If I give you a sweaty hanky, it's just that, a sweaty hanky, all right? There's nothing to it, all right? I, I wouldn't promise that, I, I have, but, I, but I believe this. I believe God blesses our, our stewardship, and the Lord calls us to, towards stewardship, and, and I think God uses that. And I, I think there's several things that God has entrusted us to steward, and I think we find them in this passage of Scripture. As a matter of fact, I think this passage of Scripture describes two types of faith. The first one is a faith for salvation, and this fellow, he missed it. He missed the faith for salvation, what it was net necessary to know Christ. The second one is a faith to follow, a faith to follow the Lord and in the things that he's entrusted us with. There's certain things we'll see here and there's certain things that God has entrusted us with. You know, obviously the thing we think of first when we think of stewardship is, is this right here. We think first of, of what's in our wallet and that's where our mind goes, the financial blessings. And, and that must be considered, right? I, I have been entrusted with those things, but, but that's not the end all of stewardship, is it? As a matter of fact, I would say the greater stewardship is what you would find maybe represented in this right here. It's a, it's a planner. It's a planner right here that I have. And uh, this one's three months at a time. On, the, on my, on my uh, computer, there's the year calendar. But uh, I do better with paper sometimes. Anybody else like that? And uh, this represents the time of my life. And to be frank, what I have here, what, what we get here is often about what we do with this, isn't it? You know, we're, we're essentially we're paid for our time and things of that nature. Even if it's not hourly, you're paid for what you do with your time. And you can maybe even increase the value of your time through certain things. But I have a steward to talent this, to steward this, my, my time and my, um, my finances, but also my talents, right? Now, those are a little bit harder to measure sometimes. Some people have God-given talents. I think of our, mission, our musicians as they sing or as they play and things of that nature. But, but not only things that are God-given, but they're developed, aren't they, through practice? But, but yours may not even be musical. I mean, maybe it's a trade. 
Maybe God's given you and equipped you for a certain trade or a certain thing that you can do or some that you may have developed through education or various things. But God equips us with certain things in life and he expects us to steward them. And the Bible says it is required in a steward that a man be found faithful, faithful in our stewardship for the Lord. God calls us to that, that type of stewardship. And uh, I, I want to preach this morning just on the foundation of that. Why does a man steward his life, and, and where does this come from? And we see it in this passage of Scripture as, as well as a saving faith that we, God calls us to in this passage of Scripture. And I want to look at that this morning as we steward our life. And the first thing I want you to take notice of is this, in this story is this man in verse 16. And notice what it says here. And behold, one came and said unto him, Good master, what good thing shall I do that I may have what? Eternal life. And this goes that saving faith. He said, Lord, good. He didn't say Lord. He said, good master. Brother Anthony pointed this out at the early service. He gets it twice in a row. All right. He said, you know, preacher, he didn't say my master. He said, good master. And it's very true. He says, good master. He didn't call him Lord. He called him a good man or a teacher. He was seeing him as a teacher and as an instructor. And he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? I'm caught there with the hunger that was in this man. There was a hunger in this man. And I'll I'll come to some of the things that he had, but we call him the rich young ruler because he was a rich young ruler. But he had a lot of things in life, but he knew he was lacking something. There was a hunger in him. He said, I have a lot of things, but I'm missing something. And I've heard of this teacher, this miracle worker, and I want to hear what he has to say about how I might have eternal life. I think of how in John chapter 17 and verse 3, it would speak to that eternal life is that we might know him. We could know the Lord. They knew that there was something missing from his life. I'm reminded of Romans chapter 1 and verse 19 where the Lord said this, because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God hath showed it unto them. In other words, God said there is something in the heart of every man that walks on this earth that there is a God creation nags at them. Their own conscience nags at them. There must be a God. Most of the world is religious. Most of the world. As a matter of fact, it's a tiny percent of the world that maybe is atheist. Even when you go to the places in the world in which they don't believe in Christianity, folks have developed their own gods because there's something inside of them that says there must be a creator. There's something that recognizes life extends beyond the physical, not for the years of time alone, as the song said. There's a demand that there must be something. This man was hungry for something more. He had a lot, but he didn't have enough. You know, I think of the casualty of this life is that we often try to fill that hunger with things that can never satisfy it. Remember the woman at the well? Or it said she was coming to drink, and he said, I'll give, you, I'll give you water, you'll never thirst again. It's almost when you're very hungry, you're starving, and you go to eat at the Mexican restaurant, right? Maybe not all the time. I like the Mexican restaurant. And they bring something to your table, the chips, right? And I, I tell you what, those chips are good, but they're not as good as the steak fajita that's coming, right? They're not as good. They'll give you a little bit, they'll they'll maybe take care of a little bit of that hungry, but you don't want to live on the chips and salsa. You know, if you will, in a silly way, many times we try to curb an appetite in this world by filling it with just temporary things like that. I will tell you when it comes to the spiritual things of God, this world tries to fill that hunger that is in within with all kinds of things. 
The lust of the eyes, that's obtaining possessions. Lust of the flesh, the experiences of life. The pride of life, that's the accomplishments that they pursue and the things they try to, try to the recognitions they try to gain, only to find out they're like potato chips. You're still empty. Still empty. And this man knew it. The rich young ruler said, Master, what do I have to do to have eternal life? What do I have to do? The first thing the Lord said to him is he, he would remind him, he'd say, why do you call me good master? There is none good but who? One. There's only, only God is good. For all have sinned and come what? Short of the glory of God. God was a sin. The Lord was either saying, either I am God or I am a sinner. There are no good masters on this life. Either I am God or I'm a sinner. But you've got to decide what you're going to do with me. You must decide. I can't just be a good teacher because I'd be a sinner just like everybody else. I'm either God or I'm not good. Make up your mind. And we see the man's hunger, but we also see the bargain that he tried to strike with the Lord. He would make that statement, what, what things shall I do that I may have eternal life? What can I do? The Lord tried to draw his attention that there was nothing that he could do. There was nothing. He would call him out in verse 17. Why callest thou me good? There is none good but one. That is God. But if thou wilt enter into life, keep the commandments. He saith unto them, which, Jesus said, thou shalt do no murder. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not bear false witness. Honor thy father and thy mother. And thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. The young man saith unto him, all these things have I kept from my youth up. What lack I yet? Now, I'll reveal here in a moment the error in that statement. But this man was trying to bargain with the Lord for eternal life over his morality. And from you and I, from our eyes, he was a good moral man. You notice all the commands that were listed there were, relation, were in relation to this man's relationship with other men. You read the Ten Commandments, you'll find out something in the Ten Commandments that a, a portion of them are in relation to our relationship with God. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Thou shalt not make unto thee any grave image. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. Remember the Sabbath to keep it holy. They're a man's relationship between them and God, right? And then it enters into those commands that are our relationship with others. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not bear false witness. All of those things that have to do with our relationship with others. And what God was highlighting is this man in his own eyes and in the world's eyes was a good, moral man. He had morality. If you would, others would look at him and say, this is a good man. Surely this man knows God because he is a good man. He's a good man. But the Bible says to us in Isaiah chapter 64, verse 6, but we all are as an unclean thing and all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. We all do fade as a leaf. Our iniquities like the wind have taken us away. The Lord would remind him that, was going to remind him shortly, you're not a perfect man. You're not a sinless man. You might have morality, but there's no trading on that morality in terms of the world. Matter of fact, that last, look at what that last statement is. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thy what? Self. The Lord would ask him, and shortly he'd say, okay, if you are as good as you say you are, 
In verse 21, if thou wilt be perfect, go and sell all that thou hast and give it to the poor. And thou shalt have treasure in heaven and come and follow me. If you love thy neighbor, if you truly love thy neighbor as thyself, young man, then go sell it all and give it to the poor. Because if you love that poor man who is your neighbor just as much as you love you, you won't mind giving him everything you have and you doing without. Because it's just like shifting your money from one account to the other because you care about that man. Obviously, this man went away with sorrow in his heart, didn't he? The Bible reminds us why. He had much possessions. He had a lot. You know what he thought? Well, I thought I loved him, but then I realized if it was me eating or him eating, I'd rather be the one eating. If it was me in the nice house or him in the nice house, I would rather it was me in the nice house. If it was him enjoying the finances or me enjoying the finances, I would rather it was me. He didn't quite love his neighbor as himself, did he? It wasn't that God was telling him he could buy his way into glory. It was the Lord revealing to him, you're not as good as you think you are. Friend Christian, I will tell you something. We're not as good as we think we are. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. He was a moral man in the eyes of the world, but he was a lost man. Matter of fact, even any little bit of what he might say is good morals he received from the Lord. The Bible says in Romans 2, 14 through 15, for when the Gentiles, which have not the law, do by nature the things contained in the law, these having not the law are a law unto themselves, which show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness and their thoughts the meanwhile accusing or else excusing one another. This man was living by behavioral change because God had written into his heart what was right and what was wrong and he exposed this man as a Jew to the law of God and even his ability to say that I am a good man in the eyes of the world was all because God had put something into his hand, into his heart that said what right and wrong was. This man couldn't even claim that the good things he did, he did on his own because the only way he knew what was right and what was wrong is that God placed it into his life. Sometimes we try to take credit for being doing good things, but who told you what was right and who told you what was wrong? And even this idea that this man might have some moral character in the eyes of the world was only there because of God. And even what he tried to live out, he fell short in. He fell short. Tried to trade on morality. This man had morality, this man had wealth. Verse 22 says, but when the young man heard that saying... He went away sorrowful, for he had great, what? Possessions. Can I buy it? No. No. As a matter of fact, the Lord said this in Deuteronomy 8, 17 through 18. And thou say in thine heart, my power and the might of my hand hath gotten me this wealth. It's kind of what we say in our own country, right? We stand upon our own two feet. And thou say in thine heart, my power and my might and the might of my hand hath gotten me this wealth, wealth. But thou shalt remember the Lord thy God, for it is he that giveth thee power to get wealth. It is he that giveth thee the power to get wealth. You say, you don't understand. I've worked hard for it. Well, who gave you your physical health? I've planned much for it. Who gave you your mental capacity? 
Who is it? Why is it this is the rich young ruler and not the leper begging to be cleansed? Why is it he has wealth and he's not the blind man begging for alms? Why is it he the Jew with some, with some moral law written to in his life and not the Gentile woman begging for crumbs from the master's table? Because of God. Because of God. Why do you sit where you are today rather than in some dark, penniless village across the face of this world? God. God. Why? Lord, can I give you something to earn eternal life? What do you have that I didn't already loan you? Is what the Lord said. What do you have? You think you earned it? Who gave you your health? Who gave you your intelligence? Who put you into the home and the place that you're at? You don't have anything to give back to me that I haven't already given you. What do you have? His, his, we see here his morality, his wealth, his time. Verse 20, look at verse 20 said, For the young man saith unto him, it's time. Kind of wrap time up in a planner. A young man. But he had time. At least he thought he had time. Uh, this young man didn't, you know, you can be a young man, still an old man. In other words, you can be young in the eyes of the world, but you don't know how much longer you have on this earth. You can be a young man, but at the last moments of life, can't you? I don't know how long we have. Any bit of time that you and I have, we have... Because the God of eternity loaned it to us. There's a time appointed unto man once to die, and after this is the judgment. Ecclesiastes reminds us of, of this when it, when it says this. It, it would say, uh, the, of the Lord, it would say, to everything there is a season, a time to every purpose under heaven, a time to be born, and a time to die. That any little bit of scrap of time that I may have to offer to the Lord is really His time that He has loaned me. I don't know how long I have. A bargain to be made with God on the time we have, on the things we possess, on the morality that we've, we claim to have? How about his position in Luke? When Luke would recount this story, he would call him a certain ruler, asked him. He was a man of position and accomplishment. Whether he was born into it or whether he labored for it, he was a man of position. He had what folks in the world recognize, maybe it was a degree on the wall, maybe it was a position in government or in religious world, we don't know, but he had gained position in his life. I have it. And so because he had his somewhat morality and he had his wealth and he had his youth, and he, and, he, and he had of his position, he, could, he would make those statements as he leaned on that claim and said, what good things shall I do that I may have eternal life? Can I live a little better? Can I spend a little more time? Can I give of my wealth? Can I offer of my position to gain an eternal life, this emptiness that is within? What can I do? In reality, God looks at him and could look at him and say with, with this, where do you think you got all these things from? 
Where do they come from? Where do they come from? It's not that any of these things were bad things. There's nothing wrong with wealth, nothing wrong with youth, nothing wrong with position, never, nothing wrong with live, trying to live right and character. But they won't get you into glory, friend. They won't get you into his presence. I look at this man and I see a cultural Christian. A cultural Christian. In the eyes of their co-workers and their friends and their family, they're good people. They have gained somewhat in wealth or position. They have these things, but in reality, they have nothing. This man had nothing. He had nothing to offer back to earn something from God. But he was trying to bargain with the Lord. We see the man's hunger in his heart as he realized he was missing something. But in the midst of the missing, he thought somehow he could earn it. The Lord would call his attention to the fact that, friend, the man's need was he needed the Lord. Verse 17, and he said to him, why callest thou me good? For there is none good but one, that is God. He's not just a teacher, friend. He was the son of God. You need him. I think of what he would say in verse 21. Look at his answer. He would say to him, Jesus saith unto him, If thou wilt be perfect, and go and sell that thou hast, and give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven, come and follow me. But when the young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Worst decision of his life in all of eternity. Then said Jesus unto his disciples, he began to teach them something as a result of this. Verily I say unto you that a rich man shall hardly enter into the kingdom of heaven. And again I say unto you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. He looked at this man and he was saying, this man needs to trust me, to follow me. The eye of a needle, we saw one when we were in Israel outside of the walls of Jerusalem, but eye of a needle was just a very small entrance into the city just by the main gate. And if you were to come, if a merchant were to arrive late to the city walls and they had their camels loaded with their merchandise and they were coming to the city walls and they would come to the city walls, but the gates had been shut. The night had come and the gates were shut and they wouldn't open them again, but they would let them come in by way of the needle's eye. In order to make that way for that camel to get in, they would, the camel would have to, they would have to unpack the, the, the camel. I think of this as I, I've never unpacked a camel, but I've unpacked a car, all right? And with five kids and seven of us in it. Matter of fact, I was telling my wife this. When I was a kid, I hated it. We would travel at night every once in a while to go to my grandma's. And, and I hated the night trip because there was nine of us kids and my parents. And you'd fall asleep in the vehicle. And then when you got up, you didn't wait till the morning to unpack. And torture was unpacking the van at midnight for 11 filled people, right? But they would come to the city gates and they would have this camel loaded with merchandise, and in order to get in, they'd have to go by way of the eye, the eye of the needle. They'd literally have to unpack the camel and take everything off of it. That camel would have to get down, literally almost on its knees, and scooch its way through. That biblical word, scooch, all right? Scooch its way through the eye of a needle. And the only way in was to unpack everything, to unload everything, and make its way through the gate. Or there was no getting in. You know what the Lord was telling this man? Who was telling him, you're going to have to unload your morality, unload your wealth, unload your youth, 
unload your position, and just trust me. Jesus saith unto them, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Friend, as long as you trust in who you are, you will never get in. For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, but the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should what? Boast. He said you won't be able to boast in this fact that you were good enough to get there or good enough to keep it. You won't be able to boast in this fact that you had enough to buy it or you bought your way in or, or that you had enough position that you could earn it because of who you were or the time that you have. You worked and labored for it. God said no man will boast. Rich young ruler, quit trusting in all that. Unload all of that and just trust me and follow me. He wasn't talking about the man buying his way into glory by giving up what he had. He was telling him to quit trusting in all of those and just trust in him. And I will tell you something, Christian. Salvation comes to the one who simply trusts in God. Cultural Christianity gets no man into glory. Some semi-morality some position where we feel we're good because of what we possess or because of some position we've accomplished. As a matter of fact, Paul would say in the scripture that he counted all those things but, but dung that he might win Christ. That he might win Christ. He would say this, though I might have also confidence in the flesh, if any man thinketh that he hath whatever he might trust in the flesh, I more circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, is touching the law of Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, church, touching the righteousness which is of the law, blameless. But what things were gained to me, these, those I counted loss for Christ, yea, doubtless, and I count all these things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ." He says in this passage of scripture, he said, you can have all of those things and lose them. And it's not that having those things is a wrong thing, but leaning on those things is definitely wrong. Because they will get you no closer to Christ. It will certainly not give you glory. There is one way to, the to glory. And it's by way of the cross and the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. There is a faith for salvation here. Rich young ruler, the Lord said, trust me. Quit leaning on what you have. Trust me. And the message was the same for the believer. Quit leaning on this world and trust me. 2 Corinthians 5, 14 through 15. For the love of Christ constraineth us because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead. And that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. In other words, I'm not supposed to be trusting in this. I'm supposed to be using this. I'm not supposed to be trusting in my time. I'm supposed to be using my time. I'm not supposed to be trusting the positions and the things you can get in life, I'm supposed to be using them for the cause of Christ. Is there something wrong with a position? 
Not if it's what God has for you and you use it. But if you're checking your mark and saying, look how good I am because of what I've done, wrong, friend. Because who gave you the ability to get there? Who gave you your health? Who gave you your intelligence? There's nothing wrong with using them. That's why God gave them to you. There's something very wrong with leaning on them. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him and he shall what? Direct thy path. When I get in trouble with this, this position and all of those things is when they're directing my path. Rather than me trusting the Lord and him directing my path with these things. Trouble comes when these lead here the Lord looks at this rich young ruler and he says, friend, in the book of Luke, said when the man said that, that the Lord loved him. The Lord loved this man. He loved him. The man was missing the one who loved him so much he stood in front of him. The one that was about to die for him shortly would give his life on Calvary that this might, man might be saved. This man truly traded the eternal for the very temporal. He traded what he had on his table at home and in his bank account or in his youth and in his time for eternity. You believe that for a moment. He traded eternity for the temporal and rested in his position, his wealth, his youth, and his morality. And left the only one with the answer right there on the road. Left him on the road. I don't know. Maybe, maybe age taught this guy something. Maybe he would hear of how this one who met him on the road one day had died on the cross. Maybe he would hear how he'd be betrayed by Judas. Maybe he would hear about what Caiaphas and how they would deny him. Maybe you would hear about how Pilate washed his hands of him and sent him off to be crucified. Maybe he would hear of the nails through his hands and through his feet and the shame that he bore. Maybe he would hear of a darkened sky and rumbling rocks as he gave up the ghost. The veil torn in the temple separating him between man and God. Maybe he would hear of his resurrection and he would believe. But as far as we know, he turned around and he went back to the things he had. As far as you and I know, he burns forever in a bottomless pit, separated from his Savior because he did not trust in the one who loved him so much he gave his life on Calvary for him. Saving faith is me saying, I'm not good enough. I don't possess enough. I don't have enough time. I don't have enough position. I have fallen short of the glory of God, and I'm a miserable sinner. There is one who is worthy of all, whose name was Jesus, who took my sin upon him at Calvary and died on the cross for me and rose again three days later. I'm not trusting in any of that. As a matter of fact, Lord, I'm turning from all of that and repenting of all of that. I'm trusting you. For my personal Savior. 
saving faith. Following faith lives the way it was saved. He's given me some things. He's given me some time. Gives me a little bit of position, a little bit of talent. I'm searching for it. I'm sure it's there somewhere. All right? And all of those things are not to direct me, but to be used in his service. And if I ever put them out of order, friend, I'm no longer following him. I'm following things. It's a lesson on faith for salvation and a faith to follow in the Christian life. There's one person to trust in, and there's only one worthy of our faith. Everything else fails. Time runs out, money runs out, position runs out, and friend, your morality ran out before your feet hit the floor this morning. (laughs) We're all sinners, but God is sufficient. Let's pray together. Lord, I love you, and I thank you so much for the word of God. I'm thankful for a loving Savior who died on the cross and rose again that we might have eternal life, that we might know you as our Savior. But I'm thankful for the things you give us in life. There's no question that, Lord, you equip us. You give us sometimes position. You give us talents that we labor over and try to, to strive to serve and improve in our service for you. You give us finances in our account. And, uh, Lord, you work to shape us and to change us more into the image of your dear Son. And, Let us live a life that brings honor and glory to your name. But let us never forget that those things come from God. And let us use them, Lord, for your honor and for glory, your glory. Not to rest on them as if we are something, but to let them be a reminder to us, Lord, that you are everything. That you are everything. Heads bowed and eyes closed. Let me just ask you this question where you're at there in your seat. How many of you could say, preacher, I was a time in my life when I put my trust in the Lord. I didn't trust in who I was or what I had accomplished. But there was a time that I recognized for all have sinned, come short of the glory of God, and I am a sinner. And there was a time in my life when I believed that Jesus was the Son of God, that he lived his life on this earth. And he died on the cross, not for his sin, but for my sin, and rose again that third day that I might be saved. And if you were to say, preacher, what am I trusting in that I might have eternal life? The answer is simple. It is Jesus. I know right now that if I died this very moment, I would be with him because I have trusted in him as my personal Savior. If that's your testimony, would you raise your hand and say, Preacher, I know that I'm saved. It's a settled thing for me. I have trusted in the Lord. Thank you. You may put your hand down. Is there anybody here this morning who said, Preacher, I'm unsure. I don't know. I would like to say that that I know Him as my Savior and that I've I've trusted in Him, but I don't think I have. I'll tell you, Preacher, I don't want to walk away as the rich young ruler walked away. I want to know the Lord is my Savior. If that's you, would you raise your hand and say, Preacher, would you pray for me? I want to know the Lord today. I want to put my trust in Him. I ask you this then, Christian, let me ask you, how many of you would say, Preacher, the Lord has spoken to my heart. I know that I'm saved, but maybe it's just a matter of how easy it is as we go through life to put our trust in the wrong places and the wrong things. You say, "Ah, Abraham did it. He would go down to Egypt. Abraham did it. He went to Hagar. How easy it is as we're journeying through life, faced with things we've never faced before, to begin to put our trust in the wrong place. And God reminded me this morning that my trust not ought to be in the things of this life. My trust ought to be in Him. And that anything I have, I owe to Him. But you would say, Preacher, the Lord has spoken in my heart this morning. Would you raise your hand as a testimony? And would you stand with me as that pianist begins to play, as God has spoken to your heart? And if nothing else, Christian, this morning, give thanks today. Give thanks to the Lord and take some time to thank Him for what He's given to you in your life. Take some time, friend, to commit to using the things that He's entrusted in your life for His honor and His glory. Not to further self, not to further our will, but His will. 
would be at the forefront of our life. But as God has spoken to your heart, as the pianist plays, do business with the Lord this morning.